Well, good morning and happy Labor Day weekend. We're glad that you've come to worship with us. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And it's you're turning there, finding your way there. Let me say, I hope that uh, just as we sang, that it is well with your soul today, not necessarily because all of the life circumstances are perfect and, and uh, because that's just not a reality. Life is tough. We face storms and all kinds of um, loss and difficulties, but we have the promise that it can be well in our lives with our soul, no matter what this world brings, because of what Jesus has done for us, because he died for our sins to give us eternal life. And that is the most important thing that you'll hear me say today, that it can only be well with your soul when you are anchored to Jesus. Anchored to Jesus. I want to begin by reading Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8 as just an intro to what we're going to talk about today. It says, There is an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every event under heaven, a time to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to shun embracing. A time to search and a time to give up as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear apart and a time to sew together. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. I think Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8, you probably only hear those words maybe at funerals. Uh, One of of the most beautiful, poetic, and yet sobering stanzas about the futility of life. In these words, there's this rhythmic and sweeping brevity that really encompasses every part of human existence, from joys to sorrows, extremes, cold and heat, changing seasons, emotional highs and lows, hills and valleys, gladness and despair, from the first breath, to our last breath. In light of that, in light of the fact that death is coming, it might be easy to surmise that all of life's pursuits are ultimately futile because they come to nothing. Maybe we would think that the work that we do in this life, when we realize it will eventually crumble, disappear, fade into oblivion, the sunset will come, the things that we've done in this life will quickly be forgotten, if not in the next generation, maybe even in our own lifetime. But these verses are not verses of despair. In fact, it says at the beginning, there is a time for everything. Everything in life has an appointed time. That is, that God has ordained these polarities, these extremes, life and death, these things in our lives Come and go, no matter how brief our work is, our life is, no matter how simple or obscure our work, no matter how few our days, there is meaning and purpose. And the book of Ecclesiastes is a great tutor on the search for significance, purpose, and meaning in all of life. And here on Labor Day weekend, I thought it would be fitting for us to study and think just for a few moments about a biblical perspective 
about the meaning of our work and our toil and our labor. So we're going to continue on in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and see what we can learn from the preacher. The preacher is the writer of Ecclesiastes. That's what he calls himself, the preacher. We're going to see what the preacher learned about work. And as we talk about work today, I think it would be easy for us to jump to our primary career, but really if we think about work, it's all the labor that we do from the smallest task to from you know the unpaid things, the things that we're paid for, the unrecognized tasks, maybe it's jobs that come and go, and even our primary calling, vocation in life. Really, when we think about work, it's all of that. It's all of that. So as I mentioned the word work, I don't want you just to focus in on one piece of that. Let's think about all that we do toiling under the sun. You know, we'll begin in verses 9 through 10 really looking at the quest for true profit in our work. It says in verses 9 and 10, What does the worker gain from his struggles? I have seen the task that God has given the children of Adam to keep them occupied. Verse 9 states the question that really is going to set the stage for what we're going to talk about today. And here's the question. What good is our work? What's the profit? Where is the value in all of our work? You know, some of you are teachers, and you know that from time to time you give students busy work. It's just things to keep them set down and shut up, right? right? It's just, and nobody likes busy work. You're just making me do that to do something, to fill the time. And I think maybe the preacher is grappling with, God, is that what you've done to us here? Is this just busy work that ultimately comes to nothing, or is there a larger purpose? And so he asks the question, what is the profit? And that he doesn't have in mind primarily the financial profit, I don't think. In fact, it's the same question that he began the book of Ecclesiastes in Ecclesiastes 1-3. Same exact question. So the fact that it's repeated, it's kind of a uh, cookie crumb trail to help us understand. What are we talking about here? The question is, what is the profit of our work? Of all that we toil in under the sun? Son, why should we do these things? What good is it? Right? When you send your kids out to do certain tasks, what good is this? Why do I have to do this? What's the point of working and sweating and giving ourselves to a career? What's the point of cleaning the house and mowing the yard? I mean, we're, we're struggling in our house right now over how many times we should mow the yard. Because we had this drought all through the July. And this, the one good thing about that is the lawnmower can sit still. And all of a sudden it's began to rain and the grass just, I mean, it's just growing like crazy. Do you have to? Mow it every three days, every five days, is once a week enough, you know? Should we just bail it for hay? Those are questions we're asking ourselves. And, and you know, it's, it's frustrating because you mow the yard and it looks beautiful for about a day. And then crabgrass and Dallas grass and all these weeds start sprouting up and it's not so beautiful. And you know the dreaded day is coming. You're just going to have to do it again. And our work can sometimes feel that way. We're just doing these things over and over and we do them, and then it seems like they're undone in some ways. In the first two chapters of Ecclesiastes, because we're narrow, uh, focusing on a very, uh, fairly narrow slice, I will tell you, he asks the question in 1-3, and, and, and he begins to take us in chapters 1 and 2 on, on some of the answers that he hypothesizes about the point of it all. 
So he's asking, what profit is there in the work? And so if we go through chapters 1 and 2, he says, here's what I, I, I thought. I tested out the hypotheses about what good is our work to see if that was what really fulfills us in our work. And I can tell you, what, the first thing he says is, well, our work is good. I believe maybe the primary good is that so that we can afford the good things in life, the, the best things, and, 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 and uh, have privilege to experience all these great pleasures and the finest wines and the finest food. If, if we work, we amass a lot of money so that we can do the most entertaining things that the world has to offer. Maybe that's it. Maybe we work and the ultimate profit is that we can pay for the best pleasures and all that life has to offer. The second hypothesis is maybe work is all about building something magnificent. And so the preacher says, I set out to do great things. You know, there was everything at my disposal. And he says, I built these great parks and monuments and, and orchards and ponds and streams and waterfalls. You can just imagine he built the biggest and the best and the beautiful things that his mind could imagine. So maybe it's in attainment, attaining our goals. Is that the ultimate profit in work? He said, I tested that out. He said, then I thought, you know what? Maybe it's amassing fortune. Silver and gold. And he said, and so I did all of these things and it brought in great wealth. And I had silver and gold as far as the eye could see. I mean, I was raking it, raking it in hand over fist. And here's what he said in all of those things in Ecclesiastes 2.11. There's no lasting profit there. In the pleasures, the amassing and the attainment, I found no lasting profit. Uses the exact same word from verse 9. What is the profit then in our work? You see, he's despairing. He says, I've built all of these things. I've done all of these things and it's just fleeting. There's coming a day when I know that I'm going to pass away. I'm going to die. And all of these things that my hands have built, you know what's going to happen? Someone else is going to get them. Someone who has not done the work. And he says, and we don't know if he's going to be a fool or a wise person. Are they just going to waste it and fritter it away or take it and build something better? You know, it's, it's frustrating. And so he says, and it's funny to look at uh, uh, chapter 2, verse 23. He says, there is this task, there is this toil, there is a burden in our work. So it's not like it's all fun, right? We're not doing it because it's all fun. He said, there's blisters, and there's stress, and there's anxiety, and there's backaches, and there's insomnia. He said, why am I doing these things that keep me up at night? He's struggling. What is the point? What is the meaning? Where is the profit in our labor? All of these things that we do that are difficult in work. Why do I do it? What's the point? That's the question. And that's the struggle. Now listen, this is not just some guy who's, who's uh, kind of asked a, a trivia question. This is a serious man on a serious mission to figure out the purpose of work. Now, listen, we spend more time in our work than any other thing that we do in our lives. And wouldn't it be good to know why? <laughs> so he said, I want to know why. What's the point? Oh, sure, the paycheck and all of that. And then we come to verse 11. And so we're going to look at, there's at least three things or three ways that he finds profit and value in 
the labor that he's done. He said, you know, if, it, if it's all just about attainment and, and passing pleasures, you know, to afford the greatest things and all of that, he says, it just left me high and dry. So what is the answer? Verse 11, first, we find that our work guides us towards wisdom. Our work guides us towards wisdom. And this happens in our work, even as it's embedded with futility. And the fact that it's vanity, that it's all eventually just going to be gone. He said, but it leads me to God. Look at verse 11. It says, he has made everything appropriate in its time. And he has also put eternity in their hearts, but no one can discover the work God has done from the beginning to end. Now, Ecclesiastes is wisdom literature. Wisdom literature, it's the search for meaning. It's the search for how to live our life well. That's really, that's my favorite definition of wisdom. It's discerning how to live life well in the sight of God. And the author of Ecclesiastes, man, he's a big, go big, go home, ask the hard questions kind of guy. And if we think that life is all about portfolios, positions, and attaining our dreams and uh, entertainment, we're set up for for failure. You know, there's nothing wrong with striving for excellence in our work. In fact, there's a lot of good in that. A lot of good in striving for excellence and climbing to the top of our profession and doing the best job that we can. There's nothing wrong with that. But as many people have said, when you climb to the top of the ladder, so often you find at the top rung there's nothing there. The top rung of the ladder is not the point. The ladder is to get us somewhere where we can set our feet down on solid ground. You know, sooner or later, if you're just climbing the ladder to gain success, you're going to be disappointed because here's what's going to happen. You're going to find out that there's always someone smarter, quicker, more energetic, brighter, faster, younger. (laughs) Someone who can do it better. And even if you're Einstein and you find there's just no one that ever attains to your mental prowess, well, what you're going to find is that one of these days your brain is going to go fuzzy and black and you're going to cease to think. One of these days, our careers, our energies, our lives will cease. And in light of that, we ask, like he's asking, what is the point? Is there a broader point? And I think that in verse 11, it dawns on the preacher that one of the reasons that God has given us work is so that we would search out wisdom, to begin to search out wisdom, because we do want to do our work the best. We want to know how to do it more skillfully more efficiently. We want to know those things. And it begins to set us on this path of seeking out wisdom. And what he finds is that, listen, if we try to silo our lives and our work and make life all about us, we've missed the first step of wisdom. We've missed the big picture. Our lives are not all about us and our attainments. Actually, our lives are are just one thread in this great tapestry that God is weaving throughout history. And when we begin to understand that we are a part of a bigger picture, of a community, of the people of God, of the story of God, then we begin to understand what our work is all about. It is not all just about us. And so in the search for wisdom and meaning, he says, you know what I've had to come to realize is my life is not all just about me. 
but it's about that God has created me for a purpose. And he has this grander purpose. And I can be part of a bigger thing. And we need to understand that. And so the first step of wisdom and understanding the meaning of our lives is to fear the Lord. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. We humble ourselves and realize that we are but creatures created by God to be a part of what he is doing. And so our work, I think, puts us on that path. And sometimes we come to a dead end and we say, Lord, I don't get it. This is what it was all about. And actually, the answer is no, your life was not all about that thing. Your life was all about my glory and knowing me. And so in our work, we need to humble ourselves, get the fear of the Lord. That is the beginning of wisdom. The next thing that is a clue about the purpose and meaning of our work, and it's a help for us in our work, is found in verse 12. And I think the help is that it teaches us to approach our work as an opportunity for enjoyment and for happiness. Let's look at verse 12. He says, I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and enjoy the good life. You know, it's pretty common for work to be a four-letter word. In other words, when we say, I'm going to work, you know what I'm saying? It's time for work. Work can be a four-letter word in our vocabulary, but on rare occasion, we meet someone that seems to truly love every part of their work. You know, they, they do it with this exuberance and, and joy. They jump out of bed in the morning and can't wait to get off to the task of the day. You know those annoying people. You meet them on occasion, right? You know, and, and they're the people summed up in this thing right here. Do what you love and you'll never work another day of your life. And you're going, seriously? Think about that. They, they say, do what you love and you'll never work another day in your life. I wonder if that's biblical advice. I wonder if that's true. You know, as I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, when we hear that, it sounds like good advice. It sounds like it on the surface. But if we're not careful, I think that what we hear in that is that, uh, you know what, if you're mid or late career or you're already retired and, and uh, you go, that's for the select few people who seem to just kind of get it all right. Everything lined up, they picked the right major in college or the right training path. They picked the exact right job that suits their personality and their gifts and their calling. And so for those people, they work and it's not drudgery and it's not dull. But for the rest of us schlubs, it's terrible. I think that's what we think. And we're like, you know, good for them, bad for me if I didn't pick that path. But the Bible, I don't think, agrees with that notion that if you only can do the work that you love. Only those people can enjoy their work. What about work that you don't love? What about cleaning the bathroom or cleaning out the gutters? That's work. How many of y'all enjoy that work? Cleaning the bathrooms or cleaning out the gutters? How many of you enjoy, truly enjoy, changing diapers or changing the oil in your car? But you do it. Right? Can you do it with a glad heart or do you just have to sit about those things and hold your nose and wear gloves and say, I just got to get this over with? You know, I think that what is being taught here is that there is a way to approach all of our work, whatever our hands find to do, 
from the other direction. In other words, it says cultivate joy and gladness about being able to work in your heart and then you will enjoy whatever you do. The Bible comes at it from that direction. I believe the Bible teaches that we can be glad and happy and joyful in even the most dirty, seemingly demeaning or difficult jobs. In fact, I was going to preach from, uh, from Colossians 3.23 today before I came on this passage. And here's what that says. Whatever you do, do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people, knowing that you will receive the reward of an inheritance from the Lord. You serve the Lord Christ. Isn't that a great passage? Whatever you do, man, do it as unto the Lord for Him. Don't worry about all the people, what they say and what they're doing. Serve the Lord and He will reward you. But here's the thing. Do you know who that was written to in Colossians 3? Who the specific addressees of that particular verse are? Slaves. That's who that was written to. Wasn't written to 18-year-olds who were trying to discern which is the best path that they can go on. Wasn't uh, written to people who, who had all the freedoms in the world to choose any job they wanted. It was written to slaves who had no freedom to choose the task that they were called to do. To slaves. And he says, whatever you do, man, do it from the heart. Really? Is that possible? Is that a thing? The Bible seems to think it is. That we can do our work as unto the Lord, no matter how difficult or dirty. Have you all ever watched that Micro's Dirty Jobs show? Man, that's a, that's a fun show to watch. I, I like that. I like that that guy's willing to go down and, and, and do all of these different dirty jobs. Micro's pretty entertaining. Got a great voice. I wish I had a voice like that. Got a preacher voice. And, and he goes and does these things. And, and, and he goes to these difficult and dirty jobs. And I'll tell you what's amazing about it, most of all is that there are people, man, they just seem to enjoy their work. They get fulfillment out of even these dirtiest jobs out there. So it's not the circumstances of the work. It's the character of the worker. It's the heart. And for me, I know this is a great heart check, is to think, man, whatever you're doing, sweeping the floors, weed-eating the weeds out in the yard, whatever your hands find to do, you can do it as unto the Lord. We need that change of perspective, or at least I think most of us need that. We need that reminder. That leads us to the last thing about our work that I think is helpful, helps infuse meaning, get back to the purpose of it all. And that is the witness of our work. That our work, and as a society, we need to uphold this, the dignity and the value of labor in the sight of God. Look at verse 13. It, that is work, is also the gift of God whenever anyone eats, drinks, and enjoys all his efforts. We need to come back again and again to this truth that work is ordained by God. It's given by God. We have this God-given capacity and this commission starts all the way back in the book of Genesis. Go, subdue the earth, cultivate the ground, have dominion over God's creation as his stewards. And we can cultivate the ground literally. We can do it metaphorically in our work. We're working as unto the Lord because really that's what we're here to do. Is to be his workers in this world. To be his hands and feet and be like him. To enjoy creativity 
and the fact that we can change things. Have you ever thought about how amazing it is that we can literally change the world? The things that we do impact others, and there's this ripple effect, and it goes on, and it does all kinds of things that we're scarcely ever even aware of. Now, we need to remember this, folks. This is the way the world works, or at least the way it used to. People got up and they went to work and they did work and they got a paycheck for their work and that provided for their food. I think we're kind of confused about that today. But that's the way it works, or at least it's supposed to. The meeting of our basic human needs is accomplished through labor. Reminds me of a funny story I read. Here's what it says. Here's a, here's a tired, disgruntled worker. It says, I'm tired. For several years, I've blamed my tiredness on middle age, low iron in my blood, air pollution, water pollution, obesity, earwax buildup, and a dozen other maladies that make you wonder if life is really worth living. But now, I found out the real problem. The real problem is that I'm tired because I'm overworked. There are about 200 million people in this country. This is old, by the way. About 200 million people in this country, 84 million are retired. So that's only 116 million left to do all the work in our country. 75 million of those are in school. So there's only 41 million people left to do all the work of those. There are 22 million employed by the federal government. So only 19 million are left to do the work. 4 million are in the armed forces. And almost 14.8 million work for the state and local government. So that only leaves 200,000 to do the work. 188,000 of those are in hospitals. 11,900 are in prison. So that just leaves 100 of us left to do the work. And you all are just sitting there. <laughs> no wonder I'm tired. The story reminds us that everybody has work to do. Everyone has a good work to do. The Bible upholds the value and dignity of human labor of all kinds. And it's easy for us to get disgruntled in despair when it seems like we're bearing an improportionate piece of that work. We start looking around and we wonder why we're working so hard and making so little while those who work so little are making so much. That's the kind of thing that gets in our mind. And before you know it, it's polluted us and it's polluted our heart and it's made us disgruntled about our work. And I think it's just a good thing today to be reminded that good work is good work. You don't have to do everybody's work in the world, but you need to do yours. And I need to do mine. And it's a good thing. That's how society works. I think we need to stop thinking that the size of our paycheck is the only way to value our work. Though the world does that. It's all about the numbers and digits on the right side of the dollar sign on that paycheck. That's not the only value of work. You know, we need to learn to enjoy the non-monetary things that our labor provides. Helping people. Just helping others. Doing good. Developing industries. Creating more jobs for others. Beautifying the world. Good work. That's what we are called to do. There's a great sense of accomplishment when we go out and give ourselves and expend ourselves at work in this world. And that's what Labor Day is all about. 
That's what this holiday was set aside for in honor of the American worker to recognize the good of the work that people do and how it creates a society that supplies and provides for our very needs. You know, don't get too hung up on how obscure your work is. That is that nobody seems to see it. Nobody gives you one of these. You know, it could very well be that your primary work right now, you don't get any pay at all for it. In fact, you may be paying for it. If you're in school, in college, or something like that, stay-at-home moms, <laughs> you're working. You're working. Don't get too hung up on the fact that nobody seems to see it, because I'll tell you this, God sees. He knows. You're retired. We have, I tell you, I'm so encouraged. We have so many folks that are retired from their paying gigs, and they give themselves to building up others, to building up the church, to serving in ministries. In fact, let me say this to you today. In no way am I trying to uphold myself as the model worker. I think you could look around this church, and I, I just begin to think about different members of our church and the things that they have done in their lives, careers and businesses, the things that they're doing now. And I'll tell you, you've got a lot of great role models in what it means to do work and do it well for the glory of the Lord right here in this church. And I don't want to begin to call names, but you could just look around and think about the good work that people in this church do. This is a church full of workers who are doing great things. And I think I want to commend you, but most of all, the Lord sees. He knows what you're doing. And one of these days, you will receive a reward from him. In the meantime, and don't just think about 401ks and IRAs and all the benefits that are out there. God has instituted that our work provides for our needs. And one of the things Ecclesiastes and the preachers begs us to do is just think about this. Don't get too hung up on worrying about what's out there. When you get your paycheck, does anybody here actually still get a paycheck, a, a check, right? It's, it's all electronic probably now. But when your pay comes and you have to go and spend 80% of it at the grocery store, that's part of the way God's intended it to be. That part of the instant reward of the work is when you get paid, you go get some groceries, you go get a good meal, and it doesn't matter if it's steak and potatoes or it's beans and cornbread. Sit down and enjoy the fruits of your labor. And we often don't do that. We don't just sit and enjoy a meal and give thanks to God for the fact that we can take a hoe out there and scratch the dirt and plop down a seed and water it and watch him produce something with our help. And take those things and thank God for the fruits of our work. But I know this, God has given us things to do. And one of the most dangerous things people can do is to sit around and waste their lives and not do profitable and good things. It's not healthy. It's not healthy for you. It's not healthy mentally, spiritually, socially, in any way. It's not healthy to do that. Maybe you're incapacitated a body. You know what? There's all kinds of work that you can do from a keyboard. You can do from a telephone. There's all kinds of things. And I'm not just talking about paychecks. I'm talking about making a difference in the world. Man, what a privilege we have to serve the Lord in such a varied capacity in this life. 
Don't take it for granted. Appreciate it. This Labor Day weekend, be thankful for the opportunities that you have to work and to do good. Appreciate. Take time. You know what rest and relaxation is about? It's not just about vegging out. It's an opportunity to cease from our labors and enjoy the good fruits of our labors. Enjoy them. Enjoy a good meal. Enjoy rest from your labors unless you have to work tomorrow. Enjoy it. Take time and spend time with family and friends. Enjoy those parts and those things that we have in life. Most of all, let me say this to you in closing. Let the fire in your bones and that desire that you have to do good most of all lead you to the Lord. Ecclesiastes 3 said, God has set eternity in our hearts. There is something within us that cries out for eternity. And yet here we are in this futile world, knowing that our days may only be three score and ten, maybe 70 years if we're lucky. We have this brief life. But the fact is, that cry for eternity is satisfied when we humble ourselves before the Lord when we come to him through Jesus Christ, we can receive eternal life. In this life, the most important work that you will ever do, Jesus said, the work is to believe on the one who the Lord has sent to give you eternal life. So let me encourage you in that as we close. Would you bow with me? Father, I'm thankful for the work, the opportunity, the strength that you have given us all to be stewards in this world, to do good, to help others, to glorify you, to magnify your name. Help us to have a heart of appreciation, a heart of gladness and enjoyment in the service that you've called us to, whether it is the smallest and most menial-seeming task or it is the big picture, the grand things that we set out to do in this life. Help us to do all, Lord, not as serving mere mortal men, but as serving you with all of our hearts, with the strength of our hands. God, help us to see the good and to do the good that lays right before us. And Lord, I pray today for any that are here struggling, maybe with a sense of calling or a sense of the fact that uh, their days seem to be coming to an end of their career life, that you would maybe infuse in them a, a sense of uh, purpose and hope and good for what lays ahead. Lord, we pray for wisdom that in the things that you called us to do, that we would find you there already at work and come alongside you. Help us to have wisdom. Help us to have a heart for you. Lord, I pray for these young people that are here today who are searching for the path. Pray that you would give them wisdom. Guide their foot. Guide their decisions. But most of all, guard their hearts. So whatever they find to do, Lord, let them do it for your glory. Help us all in that. And on this Labor Day weekend, Lord, I pray that we would just find a time of refreshment. Would you fill us up? with a fresh anointing of your spirit, with a fresh sense of purpose. And would you just give the rest that people may need 
to go back to their jobs, to go back to the things that they do. They might do them with all of their might. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.